Wasn't that a great worship band? Amen. A boy band? I, I kind of put out to the first service that uh, we should maybe uh, give them a name. Like we should take a draw and see who can come up with a name. And um, uh, Josiah says, call us the Beatles. <laughs> He's got the look down pat, right? So anyway, that was fantastic. Great choice of songs too. Josiah and the Josettes. Oh. Josiah and the Josettes? Oh, man. I don't know, Tennyson. Your piano playing was better than your ideas. So many years ago, we were lucky enough, a group of guys from this church, we uh, got the opportunity to go to Camp Malibu. So Malibu is actually owned by Young Life America, USA. So it's kind of funny because it's in Canada, but at that point, we, the younglife.ca, didn't have their own camp, so we had to use it from the Americans, and it's in Canada. So it's kind of an interesting story because what I understand is the guy that actually built Camp Malibu, and it's beautiful, like it's crazy beautiful, he actually made his money by inventing a prop that he ended up selling to the Germans in uh, one of the world wars, and he made just a ton of money. And then he built this monstrosity of a retreat center uh, with the aim to bring out Hollywood guests. So, you know, a Bob Hope and stuff would fly way the heck out here to spend time here. But it wasn't as easy as it sounded because, I mean, it's way out there if you haven't been there. Like, it's just like, how do I even get there? So apparently, the story has it that he actually finally got fed up. And uh, he just left the place. They turned off the gas, pretty much. And then they walked away. And story has it that even food was left on the grill. He had just had it through in the towel and put it up for sale. Just because it didn't go the way he thought it would go. So he puts it up for sale. And then uh, a Young Life guy from America saw it. And actually flew in to meet this guy and talk about this property that's for sale. And this is a Hollywood kind of, this is an amazing thing. So like a, uh, a non-profit going to be able to afford it. But he chats for quite a while, gives the vision of young life and all that stuff. And wouldn't you believe it? The guy brings his price way down, like ridiculously down. It was amazing. They agreed on a price and everything was going so good. And then the American director said, fantastic. Now I need donors and I would love for you to be the first donor. So the guy that actually sold it brought down the price. who was also the first donor to the price that he already brought way down. Now that is salesmanship. Hey, how's that? Anyway, we got to go here, and it was pretty fun. A, a bunch of us guys, the whole project of the men's retreat was for Christian men to bring their non-Christian uh, uh, brothers and sisters and, uh, oh, sorry, not sisters, men's retreat, come on, um, <laughs> to bring their uh, friends and people that didn't know the Lord. So it was quite a process because we had to kind of carpool, get our stuff together, went over to BC Ferries, uh, and then took this long trail down Sunshine Coast, and then finally went to the edge of the water, the Edgemont, and then we got on a private ferry, and shuttled ourselves way off to this inlet in the middle of nowhere. Just, I mean, that's God's country, man. It was unbelievable, untouched, besides this um, beautiful resort. So when we were getting close, I think that over there, all of a sudden, we see these two jet boats, or two really fast boats, whatever, Malibus, and they come soaring toward us, beautiful boats. I'm guessing in the, between sixty dollars and $100,000 each, beautiful boats. And guys were on there totally exciting, waving and welcoming us, and they had these huge speakers that were just blaring, welcoming, upbeat music. 
So before we even got to the camp, they were paving the way for us to feel like, all right, something's going to happen this weekend. And it was kind of fun because they actually started by kind of injecting this excitement and this honor as we all got off the boat and walked up the, the tramway and like something special was going to happen. So it was kind of neat because these folks really did prepare the way for something interesting to happen in our lives. It seemed as though we were so honored and so welcomed that we were almost expecting something to happen in our time there. Well, has that ever happened to you? Have you been lucky enough to be a part of something where uh, somebody has welcomed you or somebody has paved the way so that you're actually ready and more keen to hear and pay attention with your senses maybe what God wants to do in your life? Because I think, I'm going to look back at a, a Christmas story, but I think that's one of the things he would love to do in our lives. Is there a chance that even this next week, we can look at our lives and realize that there might be opportunity to pave the way for God to do something mighty in your life this next year? Or he may want to use you to pave and lay down paving stones so that every uh, mountain is brought low, every obstacle is paved down so that people that are in your sphere of influence, your kids, your husband, whoever it might be, your neighborhood, that you actually help prepare the way of the Lord for somebody else in your life. Right? So that's kind of the questions that I want to address today. Uh, before, uh, before we do, let's uh, take a word of prayer and then we'll look into what the good word says about John and his ministry with Jesus. Father, I ask that you would meet us in a powerful way and help us to go back to this um, true account, this, this story that was mind-blowing when we look at all the miracles that took place. And we would just ask that just like John took his job seriously of preparing the way of the Lord, they helps to realize that's not some dusty old book or dusty old story, but how can we actually even be a part of ushering in the paved way so that others can see, hear, sense uh, the Lord's work? And also in our own lives, is there something that needs to be brought low? Is there something that needs to be paved over and smooth so that we prepare your way into our hearts, into our minds, into our thought life, and into our actions, Lord? So, we exalt your word and ask that you would do something mighty in our lives this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. John chapter 1 verse 6, really neat verse. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The first church I ever served, uh, it was really neat. We had an installation service, kind of makes me sound like a microwave. But nonetheless, we had an installation service. And there, they brought me up on stage and they prayed over me and stuff. And then they gave me this gift of this beautiful little pen holder. And on it was inscribed this verse. There was a man sent from God. His name was dot, dot, dot. Talk about pressure, huh? But nonetheless, I wonder sometimes if we could even take out the word John and say, there was a boy sent from God to White Rock Christian Academy and his name was. You know? There was a woman from White Rock and she was sent into this community and her name was. You know what I'm saying? If we could actually plug our names in there and realize that we get to be a part of the preparation for many people to experience the Lord for the first time in their lives. We might be part of the breadcrumbs that are dropped for somebody to walk along and all of a sudden, oh, well that's what was going on in my life and be rescued by the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a man sent from God, his name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that 
through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. We're going to bounce back between John and Matthew a bit. Uh, there's some fantastic narratives. There's some fantastic um, recordings of what happened. Um, it's kind of interesting because Matthew, as you know, was, was written to Jewish people. John was written to the world. So sometimes they add different kinds of details and put together a beautiful picture. And they add these details so that uh, it makes more sense to the Jewish people and sometimes makes more sense to the, to the world that doesn't have the background in all the Jewish law and all that. So in Matthew chapter 3, this is what it says. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one that needs to be baptized by you. So why are you coming to me, John says. But Jesus says, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John finally agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on Jesus. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly beloved son who brings me great joy. Or as you know from different versions, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. I love that. That to me even points towards Trinity at work. We see Jesus Christ walking on this earth. We came as a baby and he's walking among us. And then we see him being baptized. And as he comes out of the water, a dove comes down, which is a symbol of the Holy Spirit of God descending upon him. And then we also hear the voice of the Father in heaven saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Don't you think that was an eye opener also for John the Baptist? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like he knew there was something special. In fact, he also knew that his job in life, even from the womb, John's calling was to be second fiddle. How do you like that? Because we all want to be first fiddle. We all just want to be the star of the show. John's whole life was to be second fiddle. So here John knows that he is going to usher in the Messiah, but then all of a sudden, and he knew his cousin Jesus, obviously they even met us before they were even kids. Or before they were kids out of the womb. What do you, you know what I'm saying, right? Yes. Nonetheless. They even met, and if you remember the story, the incredible miracle had happened. So we often point toward this one here. But even when Mary finds out she's pregnant, the uh, divine one says, you know what? And your cousin also is going to expect a baby in her old age. And I like that. Like I said to you, like it was last Sunday. I always find it kind of funny when one of the comments it says about a person, and they were very old. <laughs> Just like, really? That's all you got to say about me? You know, and that's Zechariah and Elizabeth. So in their very old age, they'd been praying for a kiddo, and this is ridiculous already, but then all of a sudden, the good Lord opens her womb, and, and here she has a baby. But as the story goes, dad goes, and he's been chosen to walk into the Holy of Holies, Zechariah, and he goes in there, and they take all sorts of precautions because there's a chance that when you go into the Holy of Holies, who knows what could happen when you actually go in to the Holy of Holies that you're never allowed into except for once a year. So precautions where you tie a rope or something around their leg so that just in case something happened, they could pull out the charred remains of meeting with God. You know? So they took it really seriously. They went to meet the Holy of Holies and in there... It said that you will have this child. And Zechariah struggled at that point and had some doubts. So therefore he couldn't speak when he came out. So as the story continues to go on, Mary finds out she's pregnant. She goes on to meet Elizabeth. And when they get together, the little kiddos, 
you know, and John the Baptist jumps for joy, does a couple somersaults and whatever he does in the womb, and he's pumped that this is the Christ, you know, and she says, how is it that the mother of my Lord comes to visit me? So already something's happening, and I'll throw in here for free, that's also why I'm a big, 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 big fan of taking care of kiddos even in the womb. I think some good stuff happens. In fact, even when my kiddos, uh, you know, were still in the womb or when I get to hang out with people that are pregnant, I just say, Lord, may you continue to upload or download or whatever it's called, continue to minister to this little child that's developing in mom. Right? That's a baby. That's a child. That's God's kiddo. So we got to continue to stick up for them and take care of both the mama and the babies. Nonetheless, uh, I love this story because we see even then that there's a special calling on John the Baptist. We know it even from his style. Now, if John would put his resume into our church, there's a good chance that you probably would set it aside. Because what he ate, like his breath would have been nasty. He, he, he ate locusts and wild honey. So just like, yeah, continue on. Can you talk, tell us about yourself, but please make it short, you know? And what he wore, you know, camel's clothing and stuff. And it's interesting because I believe that that also has something to do with his ministry of being second fiddle. If he would come up here, you would go, oh my goodness, I want to go golfing with John. Absolutely not. There was, everything about him was humble. Even from the way he dressed to what he ate to his message. It was all humble. It's kind of interesting. So it goes on in John chapter 1, says this. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. They asked him, well, then who are you? Are you Elijah? I am not. Are you a prophet? I am not. I love how this goes. I just love it. Finally, he says, well, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor a prophet? Well, I baptize you with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And guess who gets to baptize Jesus, right? This is really neat stuff. So he says, I, I shouldn't even be touching his sandals. This all happened at Bethany in, on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. Well, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and says, Look, the Lamb of God. And I even find that fascinating. Like, first of all, he takes eyes off of himself because everybody's looking at his baptisms. They go, look, the Lamb of God. And why did he use that title? There's so many titles about Jesus. Why does he say the Lamb of God? Even in those words, he is also shooting toward or prophesying that that's the Lamb of God. What happens to lambs? You know what happens to lambs? Yeah, they get slaughtered. So even the wording here, it blows my mind at some of the things that were said here. So he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Takes away the sin of the world. 
And this is the one that I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Jesus was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will, uh, who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. It's just powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. I find it even interesting, and we'll see a little bit later too, that as soon as John's, John has followers, he's disciples, and as soon as he says, look, the Lamb of God, and people look, and they realized that's the Messiah. And John the forerunner said that's the Messiah. While his disciples up and left John and started following Jesus. That would be kind of hard to do if you're supposed to be some great teacher or a church pastor or a leader. All of a sudden, look, and all of a sudden people leave. Well, wait, wait, I didn't really mean that. Like, you can worship him and still hang out with me. Right? So you just see humility dripping from this guy. And he knew he was called to be a second fiddle. So, is there something, pause there, is there something that can happen in the days ahead that can help us to prepare to meet the Lord or to hear from Him more clearly? Is there an action that we can take to help prepare others to hear Him more clearly? I like the book of John when it comes to the Gospels. And it's interesting because within the book of John, three of the main words that he uses over and over again, and he uses them way more than the other Gospels is believe. He's calling us to believe, to believe, to believe. He uses it almost a hundred times. Way more than any of the other Gospels. And then others talk about the Israel or the other people or the Gentiles. Well, John uses the term world over 78 times. And then the third one that he uses a lot is the word love. For God so loved the world, world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But have everlasting life. I find that kind of interesting. Because all those words that are used within the book of John, we can even see wrapped up in John 3.16, which is a very important verse for us, isn't it? For people to understand that he loves us so much that he pursued us. And we know it from Christmas time. Jesus didn't stay in the cradle, you guys. He didn't stay in the manger. Jesus grew and finally we had enough of him and we put him to death, but he rose again. He rose again. And if that's not enough, he sent his Holy Spirit to actually help us and empower us to walk day by day with him. It's just an incredible story. And I love it because we can look back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before that in Ecclesiastes, a guy that had it all, Solomon, he had it all. All the wisdom, all the riches, all the women he wanted, all the love he wanted, all the stuff he wanted, everything. He had it all. And he says, meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. But he says in chapter 3, verse 11, he says, but God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. So even the people that get on your nerves the worst, the people group that might be on your nerves, guess what? God has planted eternity in their hearts. And he wants you to prepare the way of the Lord. He wants us, wherever we are, wherever we work, wherever we live, 
whatever family you're part of, part of your ministry gets to prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord. So I'm going to ask you this question again. What am I doing to prepare the way of the Lord in my life? You know very well that sometimes there's something in your life that's stopping you from really experiencing all that you can be in Jesus Christ. I like what Kevin Bernie said many years ago. He says, sometimes when we're feeling a blockage with the Lord, there's a good chance that you can go back to the last time that you said no and make that right with the Lord. I like that. I think about that a lot. Because sometimes I'm wondering why I'm having a bummer day or why I'm depressed in this week. And sometimes I like to go back and take inventory going, have I actually taken action on a conviction that the Lord has given me? So if he says, Steve, I really want you to get rid of this or I want you to start doing that. I go, yeah, that sounds good. And I don't do it. I don't know. Is there a chance then that I'm not experiencing all the blessings that were there when I walked out in obedience? Obedience is a big deal. How are you preparing the way of the Lord in your home for your husband or for your wife to meet the Lord and see something powerful? How about your kids? Is there a chance that you can help lay paving stones so that your kids can see him and hear him more clearly? And how about your neighborhood or let's say your sphere of influence? It's really important that we know this, that you and your group of friends, your apartment building, where you shop, your hobbies, you are there. I am not there. And God has you there. You are a Christ one planted wherever you live, wherever you walk, wherever you hobby, wherever you work. It's beautiful. So that means that wherever you are, guess who else is there? The Holy Spirit of God. And you get to prepare the way of the Lord. you get to prepare the way of the Lord. Um, one of our statements of faith as a free church, because we're a free church and uh, we have 10 articles of faith, one of them says this, God's gospel will be brought to fulfillment by the Lord himself at the end of this age. We believe in the personal, bodily, and glorious return of the Lord Jesus Christ with his holy angels. Period. How many of you thought about that this week? Right? Not a lot of us, well, at least two of you, but I mean, not a lot of us actually think that he's coming soon. Because let's be honest, we got it pretty good. We have a little piece of heaven here in Canada. So sometimes it's hard for us to think that, wait a second, Jesus is coming again and he's coming again soon. He's coming again soon. Um, and he will bring his kingdom to fulfillment and exercise his role as judge of all. The, this coming of Jesus Christ at a time known only to God demands constant expectancy as our blessed hope and he motivates the believer to godly living, to sacrificial service, and to energetic mission. Isn't that cool? So when you actually live with an expectancy of hope, yes, life continues to go on. Still your kiddos can disobey. Still your job can, something can happen. Drama happens, all sorts of stuff. But what I'm saying is that the intention that we see here is that we are motivated by our hope to live for God and to serve each other sacrificially, and to have energetic mission, which also means helping pave the way of the Lord. So it's even our responsibility to look at some of the things in our own life, so that 
we can get rid of some of the bumps and build some bridges and get rid of some of the obstacles so that I can hear the Lord more clearly. And the same thing is when I actually do that, when I take care of my own paving, guess what? I'm convinced that there's also going to be paving done in others' lives when I pave my own. Because then I'm taking out inconsistencies and I'm becoming more clear with the Lord. I'm going to hear from Him more clearly and I get to then be a part of the ministry of paving for others. It's awesome. It's great stuff. So it's interesting because uh, we've, we've read already and John tells his story, but really his story is God's story. And that's why I want to encourage you to know your story. Even this week, if, if you're wondering what to do this week, sit down, look back at your journal, or sit down and just think back to your life and how you have seen God at work. Start looking at the breadcrumbs where God has entered your life through a person, through a circumstance, through a tragedy, through a celebration, whatever. Pay attention. And how he has prepared the way of the Lord in your life. And your story isn't just your story. It's God's story in your story. So when you learn to properly share your story with others, you get to even share the gospel of how God broke into your life. And how he's still doing the same thing today and wants to break into the lives of others around. In fact, I was thinking about it in this last week. I had probably three cool opportunities to share something of my faith. One was with a Muslim guy that came to my door and I just asked him neat questions about his faith. And, you know, and he was just saying, yeah, we never, we never sing. We just listen to the readings and sometimes we chant those readings. I said, oh, you don't sing? You don't think, you know, you don't, you, don't, you don't think God wants to hear praises? And, you know, so I was just trying to plant some seeds. Another one was somebody kind of cornered me and said, hey, tell me one thing. What is one thing that drives you in your faith? And I started, blah, blah, blah. no, no, what's one thing? Because I'm trying to go back to the Bible. I'm trying to go back here. He says, you, what's one thing about you? What is it that drives you in your faith? And you, you, know, you want to know what paved the way for him to come and corner me and ask me that question? My kids were the paving stones. He had hung out with my kids. And there was something about my kids that they were doing that he goes, Obviously, Steve and Jody and their faith, there's something true about it because I can see it in their kids. So it was kind of cool because my kids aren't perfect by any means, right? But it's kind of cool because even how they walk and talk and sometimes make mistakes but get up again and all that stuff, something about them triggered something in this guy to corner me and ask me, what's the one thing that drives you in your faith? And you're probably asking yourself the question, what is it? What did you tell him? I'm not going to tell you. That's a hard question. I was sitting there and dancing around that question for a while. Oof. But it was a really good exercise for me. He cornered me. And then you have to ask yourself this question. But in your heart, set aside Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have in you. Man. So when you get up in the morning, when you go for coffee break, when you're about to go to bed, whatever, always be ready to share the hope that you have within you. So that's your story or that's something brilliant about the Lord. In fact, I've been challenged lately that sometimes we doctor our answers. So if I come to you guys and something really cool has happened in my life, I know that you two are Christians, you share my faith, and I say, oh, the Lord has been so good. In fact, we were really struggling with this and we had no money and then all of a sudden somebody came and they just said, yeah, actually, I'm getting rid of my car. And what? And I go, well, praise the Lord. It was amazing. But then when I meet my non-Christian neighbor, yeah, it was pretty cool. Car broke down and, uh, 
and uh, coincidentally, a uh, friend, friend came up to me and had this car, so it was really cool. <laughs> so it's interesting, this author wasn't saying, take out your big Bible, but challenging me that why do we change our language sometimes to different people groups? Like, I think sometimes we can use too much Christianese, if that makes sense. Like, sometimes you use these big, like, I was sanctified, and therefore I cometh to the Lordeth, and, you know, King James stuff. But, you know, use real English, but you can share your story, what God has done in your life, without preaching, but you're sharing God's story in you. I think that's fantastic, to be able to share that with folks, because it's who you are. Is it not? It's who you are. It's interesting because it seems as though even in history, Eastern monarchs would often send out heralds before them, before their journeys, to clear the obstacles, to make causeways into valleys, to build bridges, to level hills, whatever it might be. And that was John's duty to bring back people to obedience or to help them remember what is supposed to happen. And then when he's doing that, then comes Jesus, the Messiah. And they would come to believe. So I love it. John shows us in, the, in these passages how important it is to know your story. Your story and how God has infiltrated or broken into your story. And know your story. Be ready to share the hope. But the second thing which I've said so many times already this sermon is not only learn to share your story, but number two, two, is be humble about it. Right? Like I said, he was born to be a second fiddle. And that's hard for us. That's hard for us. I'm reading a book right now that talks about often the first mountain of our life is we're always building our resume. The second mountain in our life is we're building our eulogy. And I love that thought. Because one's not wrong, but we're just saying that sometimes we're really driven when we're young for ambition to build our resume, to, to, to uh, build our skills, get more education. But then all of a sudden, often there's a... And we go, I don't need to make that much money. And all of a sudden there's this passion and a calling within us. And you might even leave your fantastic paying job to go work at an orphanage or Sam Yama House or whatever it might be. It's interesting, right? So that got me thinking, how am I building my resume? But how am I building my eulogy? How am I building my character? What am I doing to build my character? See, this humility, to me, was something that he portrayed throughout his whole life, even when he was born. It reminded me, actually, when I was back in Winnipeg, I got to go to a Bob Dylan concert. Anybody know who Bob Dylan is, right? If you don't know, then you're not, you don't even have a pulse, right? <laughs> anyway, I went to Bob Dylan concert, and I'm racking my brain, who opened up for Bob Dylan? Because there's always an opening act. I have no clue. I have no clue who opened up for Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan was great, but I have no clue who opened up for him. And it's kind of like John the Baptist. He opened up for Jesus. And we don't really remember John the Baptist. And that's okay. And that was kind of the point. Because he was paving the way for us to see the glory of God jammed into a man called Jesus Christ. It's pretty cool stuff. So I think... He's exemplified here, and good for us to know is you've got to know your story, and there's also this 
ingredient of humility that's got to work in our lives. And we're ready to say, there's the Son of God right there. There's the Son of God. Don't look at me, look at Jesus. I mess up, whatever. But you are part of the pavement. Part of the pavement. You might be a paver. But look to Jesus. Because he's the answer. He's the answer. So as I, I was looking at John the Baptist here, I just kind of thought that he had a neat ministry that each one of us can be paying attention for, especially in this next week, when it comes to your life. Are there hills? Are there valleys? Are there obstacles? Are there potholes that you need to attend to and do some paving this week? And is there a chance that there's relationships in your life, at work, at school, at home, that you can actually be part of the paving stone? you can start laying paving stones so that others around you can also hear and sense the Lord at work and that they can all of a sudden have their eyes open and say, there's the Savior. There's Jesus. There he is. So, perhaps, kind of like those boats that came out to meet me at Camp Malibu and kind of piqued my interest and I realized that, whoa, and then I came to the shore and there people were cheering as I walked up and I was ready to hear something. I was ready. Maybe this next week, a couple weeks, that's how the Lord wants to use you. He wants you to realize that you can be a part of the paving. You can be a part of dropping paving stones. You can be a part of preparing the way of the Lord. Dealing with things in your own life so that you can hear, see, sense the Lord at work in your life and also be a part of laying these stones for your sphere of influence. Prepare the way of the Lord. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for your word. And I would just ask that you'd help us to pay attention to just that. That no matter where we are, what we do, no matter if we're victorious or we've fallen down, that's all part of preparing the way. So help us to realize that your grace and your Holy Spirit is much greater than any kind of failure we can be a part of. Help us to get up. Help us to start laying down uh, paving stones and help us to attend to our own so that you can uh, continue to speak and we can hear you. But also help us to pay attention to our sphere of influence, that you're at work in our sphere, you're at work in our families, you're at work in our friendships and our hobbies and all that. And help us to realize that we can be a part of that whole paving because others around us just might hear and see the Son of God because we've been a part of laying the stones. So I thank you for this, Lord, and I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Take me over.